we I tried to get them involved in D and D because we were all sitting around the house. We couldn't leave. Yeah. We were all bored trying new things, and so I had them roll up characters and. Oh, it was, it went, we did two sessions and because they're brother and sister, all they did was fight. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't any camaraderie in the group. So they would just, they, they kind of got into it and then they, it it was just too much time. They got bored. They'd rather go do something. But it was interesting. Hi everyone. Welcome to the BizDev podcast, the podcast about developing your business. I'm David Baxter, your host, and I am joined by special guest this week, Juan Viella. He is one of our team members on Big Pixel. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. I'm happy to be here and being called special. Last time I was here, Gary didn't say special. Well, yes, he has been here one other time, and Gary just doesn't appreciate you like I do. So that's <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. Um, so we're going to be doing things a little bit differently, uh, but it should be pretty standard to our normal format here. Uh, we're going to start off. I got a, I got an article here. I got two Disney articles that I thought were interesting this week. Uh, the first one taps into um, the metaverse, which is just a constant comment uh, topic that we talk about here. So this week, Disney has decided they're getting into the metaverse. They hired or hired appointed. That's the right word. Appointed from on high. Um, a executive to lead their metaverse strategy. I don't know what that means, what Disney's metaverse strategy is. I don't think anybody knows what a metaverse strategy is. I don't think they is. really know what it means. I, I think that's fair. I, they, they call it next generation storytelling. I, the question is, do they have legs? That's what I want to know. It's a lot of nice uh, marketing words there. It's me. I, I am fascinated by the fact, and I don't think, maybe you can answer this because I posed this uh, question before to some people and they didn't have a good answer. Have you ever seen another time in in modern history where so many big companies have thrown so much money to define something, right? This doesn't exist. It's not even a definition yet. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think I have. That's what seems so unique here. I've seen small trends uh, within technology, within certain fields of technology, something right off the bat. Uh, smartphones came out. You got an iPhone coming out and like changing everything and Android doing their thing. Then Android has big phones and everybody's like, why would I want like a phablet on my pocket? And then boom, everybody's doing big phones. I think it's something like that, which is like a, it's, it's contained within a certain field. But in this case, this whole metaverse thing is encompassing all of technology, every company. I mean, everybody is a technology company now. You can expect some degree of interest in some new tech trend. But with this, like you said, everybody's just like, they don't know what it is, but they see it's it's hyped up. They see people are really going for it. Let's just throw a bunch of money, a bunch of resources, and let's see what we can make out of it. Uh, And it just feels like that is what everybody is doing without really knowing what it is. I was trying to equate it to the web, like going back to late 90s, early 2000s. And back then, it would be the equivalent of all these people, all these companies getting together and deciding what the web was. And that's not what happened. Some you know, There was a third party, a government group pretty much, that decided what the web was. And all the companies jumped in and said, okay, we're going to build this stuff. right? We're going to build a website. We're going to build an e-commerce site, all that stuff. But they followed the rules that someone else set. And I'm wondering if they're seeing, well, at this time, we get to define it. And if we get to define it, we get to make money off of it. 
And so they're all trying to define it together, which means we're going to get six metaverses at some point that all do different things. The six standards, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because it, it really does feel like they see it this way. When the, but when, like you said, when the web came out, there was somebody that said, this is the specification of how this technology works. And the race was to who has the better tools and platform to deliver it and implement it and build it. Uh, mm-hmm. But we all knew what it was. And we had browser wars. We had you know different standard words. And God, we're still fighting for different standards. But with this, sure. we like, again, we don't know what it is. And we're throwing resources at it. We're trying to figure out how do we deliver it? Uh, what can we make out of it? What is the best platform to serve it? But still, nobody can point down their finger. This is what we're all working towards. Yeah, I think, I think this is the first non-direct technology company that I can think of. I could be wrong here. But that has really dove in headfirst like this. Like all the other ones, Microsoft, Facebook, um, Google to a lesser degree, they all have a hardware stake in this, right? They can make platforms and doodads and gizmos, but Disney doesn't make gizmos, they make content. And so it's weird. It's like, I'm going to make content for a platform that doesn't exist. It's a really strange thing that they're, they're doing. But all they're doing right now is they're, they're playing. They're, they're they're planning to do something. So I thought that was worth bringing up. We'll see how it plays out. I think 2022 is going to be the year of the metaverse, but it won't actually be anything. Like we're going to hear a lot of smoke, but I don't think yeah. there's going to be any fire. That's still my prediction. I think the hardware is just not ready yet. I think we got another year or two of cooking um, until the hardware itself is anything that Disney, for instance, could make their content for. But we'll see. You know, I would argue that the hardware is almost there and that there is some good pieces of tech that you can buy now at a reasonable price so you can experience VR. This metaverse is like the VR. But it's it's unlike the phone where it's something very utilitarian also, but also at the same time something that you can enjoy with. Uh, this is not necessarily something that you need. This isn't something that you can add to your you know, repository of, of gadgets that you can use all the time that it would replace something else kind of like the phone did it replaced 20 devices at once so because you don't have a need for it i don't think it's gaining as much traction as people thought it would at least these companies thought it would it's just it's nice it's there that's what i mean by the the hardware is not there because in in order for it to be what they want it to be it has to be like a phone where it's it's on you all the time and you're wearing it or using it hours and hours and hours a day Rather than it's now time to go play with my meta quest and I'm going to go play super, superhuman, I think, or I'm going to go work out or I'm going to do the, you know, play a few games on it for a couple hours and then I put it down and I go to something else. In order for their ideas to work, it has to be on you all the time. And that's what's not ready. Um, Okay. I want to shift gears to another Disney article. We're we're staying with a theme here. Uh, this one was more fun. To me, this was really interesting. So Disney is developing a planned community for fans who want to live in the Disney universe all the time. This will be in, um, I believe it's Florida. Is that right? I think so, yes. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The other one was Florida. Um, this oh, one is in yeah. California. Yeah, Celebration is something they did. They did this once before. And you're, you live in uh, or you've lived in Florida. I am in uh, Florida, yeah. Yeah, you're not there. Yeah, but this was something you knew a little bit about. This was their celebration, and they had this idea before, and it didn't. I mean, I don't think it went horribly. It's not like it went really, really bad. But they, it didn't go to their standards, and so they now backed off of it pretty hard. Disney's not as involved. They're going to try again. This time, it's going to be in Coachella Valley, 
um, in California. And they're going to, well, they're not going to build. This is a key point. They're going to have 1,900 housing units built. And they are then going to have a lagoon in the middle, which they say will be like one of the Disney lagoons that's completely clear all the time, right? You know, it's not real water. Like, I doubt <laughs> you're going to swim or you're certainly not going to fish. But it's it's going to be perfectly clear. And it's going to create this whole Disney-esque thing. Now, they're not building the houses. They've made that clear. So it is still a third party. But what do you think about this idea that a company – you love a company so much that you want to be immersed in it literally with your home. Oh, man. I finally get the chance to upset Disney people. And this is fun. So I am not a Disney fan at all. Um, I've been oh, there. No. <laughs> oh, no. I've that been makes there. Me sad. And, and I, I've, I've experienced it. And I thought it was, it was a very, very cool experience. And that's it. It's not something I would go once a year with the whole family, you know, drop oh, 10K. Let's take five people. Who that? Yeah. I, apparently a lot of people do and some yeah, people are, love it so much that they think you know what why not live next to the park so we can do this all the time whatever we want which to me it, it's it's a little bit odd because i've lived in florida it was like a 30 minute drive so didn't put much effort into getting there but such a side point i think that it's it goes down to the whole it everything that we see now where it's not just about i'm consuming a product i'm consuming something that somebody made now it's if i'm not part of their team if i'm not in their court i'm not really a fan you know i'm i'm not really part of the team and that's i don't know I, that's something i don't feel too comfortable with maybe because i've seen it more like in a corporate sense mm -hmm. uh but that's that's what I associate it with, you know. The my my boss telling me, no, it's that we're a family here, and and <laughs> and, and, and it's odd because I'm talking to my boss right now. But it's are it's, you it's, not drinking the big pixel Kool Aid? Wait a minute, it sounds like we need to have another chat. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a <laughs> disgruntled worker on the podcast. No. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, yeah. Disney in particular is it almost has a cult like following. That's too strong of a word, but it's it's headed in that mm -hmm. way. I have friends who. Go there once a year, typically, which I don't understand because I'm a theme park guy. But Disney rides, are, while they're amazing, they're amazing one or two times because they're, sure. they're experiences. They're not usually thrill rides where you can ride a crazy roller coaster a hundred times and your stomach is still going in your throat and it's still an amazing physical experience. But Disney's rides are pretty tame in the thrill department, but they're a, they're a visual spectacle. They're amazing in that regard. But once you've experienced that spectacle, to me, I'm like, I've done it. Like I did the Yeti ride in there in Animal Kingdom years ago, and it was a brand new one at the time. And it was great. We did it twice. And I was like, yeah, and now we're going to go backwards. And, uh, you know, the big surprise is over. The yeah, Yeti tour up yeah. the track. Oh, I'm done. So I don't understand how people do that every year, but... But this is like the next step. And the, the other thing is, is how big is it? I mean, they, they've obviously done the research. I'm not trying to second guess their business model here. But you know these are going to be million-dollar-plus homes. Oh, so not course. only do you have to be a Disney freak, you got to be a rich Disney freak <laughs> to be able to be a part of this. And I struggle to find you know another comparison to a different brand or different um, – I'm going to say like – culture shift but there is uh, let's piss off another uh, group of people the supreme you know uh, folk all the the, uh, the hype beasts uh they follow a brand with a and like you said cult is a strong word but with a, a lot of fervor and yeah. they put out anything they buy it and it can be like a, a brick with the supreme logo on it and they're like i got the 300 supreme brick here going on oh for sure and, 
and it, I, I appreciate their devotion to something to that degree. But at the same time is at this point, you're not buying something out of, you know, a joy or entertainment. You're just buying into it because you're told you, you have to. If you're not doing it like everybody else is, you're losing out. You know, it's funny. There's actually a store. I'm trying to think what it is. It's like a it's in a very pretty low area of town. And it's like a, it's either a tire store or a, something to do with cars. It might be a gas station. I drive by it sometimes. I've never stopped there, obviously, but it's got the Supreme logo on it. Hmm. And I'm always wondering, there's no way that's really like legitimately Supreme, right? I mean, I know, yeah, but yeah. it's got the same red font and the asterisk and the whole bit. And I'm like, but this is in a, not a great part of town. And it's not like some great retail store or something like that. It's like car parts. <laughs> but they've got that logo and I'm like, wow. Okay. All right. But it, it, now your brain, it's, you know, you see it, you're, you're, it, it, it makes the connections. Like I, I'm associated with Supreme and I think they, they've done a fantastic job with their marketing and to get people to not even think twice and just go for it. Just make three hour lines, buy something. Hell, same thing with this scene. And it, I think these people are, are geniuses, marketing geniuses. They're doing sure. their job right same thing with Apple. Anything Apple pulls, puts out, I want to buy it. And I know I'm just being it. <laughs> You're a sheeple. I, I, yeah, I'm a sheeple. I know I am. I, and I complain about them all the time. I still buy all their products. Uh, yeah. But I don't know, man. Living next to the Apple Park would be probably a little bit too much for me. <laughs> I don't know. It, to me, if if they can run – if I, I imagine myself. I can't afford anything like this. But if they could run a housing division – the way they run their parks in that there's it's immaculate all the time. The yards are perfect. You yeah, know, yeah. the, the water is gorgeous. The, you know, if they could, cause the parks are miraculous, right? You don't see trash anywhere. You don't even see yeah. people taking up the trash because of all the work they've done to hide all that. If yeah. you could pull that off, I could totally see that. Take the Disney out of it. Just if they could actually run it that same way, I'd be on board again, if I could afford it. But uh, so, I mean, if they're going to be Disney characters in it, no thanks. Right? That, that's that's a line <laughs> too far. But anyway, you're not excited to see Goofy delivering your mail, man. Oh, maybe once, maybe once. So I want to today for the for the main section. I wanted to talk about uh, contracting. Uh, this is something that gets brought up a lot. Um, when do you contract? Why do you contract? And how do you contract? Um, cause a lot of businesses, so when you're a startup or you're a, a new business, like, okay, I'll use me as an example. So I started big pixel. And when I got to the point where I needed to hire people, I hired two junior devs and my thinking was, okay, I'm going to be the senior dev. Cause I've been doing it a long time and I'm going to bless these people with my knowledge. And I was going to mentor them. Yeah, that didn't work because I was so busy. I had no time to mentor them. And so they floundered all the time. And by the end of it, I was rewriting all their code. Not great. But what was even worse was, again, I was a new business person. So I had no idea what I was doing. But in my mind, I was like, okay, how do I afford to grow? The only way I could think of at the time was I have to bury my people, overload them, and then because I have enough work now for, let's say I have two people, I, I sell enough work that I have room for three people. So they're doing the work of three people. And then I can hire another person and then relieve that stress. And then I started over again. And then I overload them again. That was my mindset. And I, in my head at the time, we're talking 2015 right now, 
I didn't think there was any other way of doing it. And it wasn't until, and this is 100% true, these were different than my original ones, but two, my two devs that I had both quit. I had three at the time, actually. Two of them quit in the same week, and the third turned in his notice. And I then, I again, we were really small at that point, but I had four projects that we had brought on board. I was killing it in sales, and then all my developers left within a week. And of course, I'm in pure panic mode, right? I have no idea what to do. And so I was like in desperation. I turned to what was just changing. It used to be called Odesk, but now everyone knows it as Upwork. Yeah. Um, they were just rebranding themselves and changing their, their strategy. And in desperation, I reached out to a couple of people. Long story short, we started using contractors to fill those roles. And I worked with those contractors for years and years and years. Um, eventually hired one of them. And um, it was a huge godsend for me because I, it allowed me to solve this. But then I realized, gosh, what a better way of doing this, which is what we do now, is I have my own people. We have full-time devs, but instead of burying them, when we get sell and we do well on the sales side, I bring in contractors to fill those gaps that I don't have until I can hire it, until I have enough work that I can bring on another full person. Because I don't like to hire anybody unless I know I can keep them busy for at least a year. I just don't think that's right. Um, and so that now we have a mix of some contractors and some full-time. And so that's worked very well for us. But at the time... I thought that was against the rules. I'm not sure why I thought it was against the rules, but I absolutely did. And um, But you coming from a different perspective, you've been a contractor. That's actually yes. how we met. You were one of my contractors that I eventually hired full-time. Um, and I, by the way, that's the greatest, uh, just anecdotally, that's the greatest job interview ever, right? Is to hire for someone for six months as a contractor. You know if they're any good, right? There's no hiding yeah. that anymore. You know what they can and can't do. You know their strengths and weaknesses, and then you offer them a job. It's a great way of hiring. But so what I think is is interesting is when do you do it? How do you do it? And you know, is there a why do you do it? I don't think there's a why in there. But what is your perspective on this coming from your side of the fence? Yes. So it's interesting how you mentioned you transitioned from how you viewed uh, hiring contractors now, before and now, uh, because my experience has been mostly as, as to what you do now, uh, mm -hmm. where yeah. I would come in, this uh, company is making, they're doing a new marketing push and they got the product, they know what they want to put out. Uh, we need to get some people that can make this happen and we don't have necessarily the type of engineers or engineers to do what we want now. Let's, you know, outsource the help. And that's where I came in. And this was the case every single time with every client I had. Um, that said, the majority of the, at the time, this ended up being not a, let me bring you in to fix something, to make or fix something quick. When you're done, you're good to go. My team can take care of it. It always became, this is my idea. Six months later, it's a completely different idea. Everything was thrown out the door. We got a new, <laughs> a new product we want to push, something else we want to do. And here I am with people, well, you know, working with a client for like maybe a year, two years plus, which to me, fantastic. You know, constant stream of, of, mm -hmm. of revenue and clientele. But at the same time, it felt like at that point, I would always ask myself, why wouldn't they just hire me? Clearly, I'm no longer the contractor. I'm part of the team. I'm in the team meetings. I'm the stand up every morning, every week. Uh, now, this is no longer, you know, a contractor with a, with an employee relationship. Now, I'm just an employee. Um, 
and that was that that has been my experience. I still have people that sometimes email me saying, "Hey, you want to keep on helping us maintain the site that I did maybe like four years ago, and I don't remember what it was." But yeah, that's that's been my experience. It's funny. I still get this is totally random, but I still get um, recruiters coming to me and emailing me for jobs in Houston. I have not lived in Houston, Texas, in twenty years. And oh, like, man. how old is the resume you are finding? Like, where are you digging that up that you think I'm in Houston? I mean, I've lived in two other states since. It's just crazy to me. Because, um, I mean, that's just a nature of development. You always get harassed by recruiters. It's a constant thing. Um, so, okay. So thinking about contracting, when do you do it? As a new business, when do you do it? I think the simple answer is you do it when you need to do it. That sounds so trite. But the idea there is... Don't feel guilt about it. Don't feel like you have to hire right away. I think there, as a business owner, it felt like cheating initially to me. It felt like, you know, I wanted to hire people. You want to grow your business, right? I mean, my dream, and it still is to some degree. I mean, we're 100% remote. I'm sitting in our the Big Pixel office by myself because that's the way our company is built. But at, my dream was always to have a, a room full of devs. And we were going to have, you know, everybody was coming into the office every day. Because that's what I, I was a consultant for ever, for 15 years. And I, that's that's what I knew and that's what I wanted. And so I felt guilt not having that. Does that make sense? That it was, it was such a mind shift to me. Yeah, yeah. To touch on your initial point, I think what we do now uh, is probably the right way to do this. And the reason being is that you, you can grow business steadily uh, in hiring employees, getting developers, getting to fill these roles as you get more clients. But in, with the nature of our business specifically, I don't think that always works out. And bringing an employee in is not just a matter of here, here's a contract, here's the work, I'm going to send you a paycheck. There's a lot of resources that you invest into this person so it can, so they can work for you. Uh, sure. And if, if you have something like a, a small a client that you just brought in for Big Pixel that is, you know, it's going to be about four sprints of work, six months of work, something like that. Hiring a new, a new hand just for that project without knowing exactly what's going to happen after you're done with that, if you're going to have another client to fill in, you know, that time and give them work, you're wasting resources, I think. And bringing in a contractor where you just give them a quick contract that it's essentially just a an email signature and you're all good to go. You give them access to a repo, to a server, and they're working. You don't have to tell them what to do. They're supposed to know what how to do their job. You pay them, they're done. When they're not working, you don't pay them because most of these guys are hourly. That works perfectly for those scenarios. And I think that's a way to keep a business growing without you know wasting too many resources when you can't. But when you have to be careful there, okay, so so there's two sides of that. So my business group that I meet with every uh, month, C12, that I've mentioned before, um, they loved when I was purely contractors. Like I had no internal employees at all. Because when you talk, if you're trying to build a lean business, man, that is the leanest business you can do, right? There's It's 100% yeah. efficient. I only pay people when I have work to do. Um, and they loved that. And I, But I always kind of rankled under it. I didn't like that to be a hundred percent that way. I wanted to have my own people. And here's why. And this isn't just development. I think it's important to know this isn't just building a development company. This is any kind of company. When you have a contractor and they're bringing in their skills and you hand them a client or whatever work to do, they're now learning about that client. They now know how that is built or how that is done, how that client likes it to be done. Mm -hmm. And if they leave, they take that with them. 
And so let's say that same client comes back to you in six months and that contractor is not available. You're now in a pickle, right? You've got to be able to bring on either another contractor or one of your internal people to learn what that client likes without the client really knowing this is happening, right? Because you're, we always use the uh, analogy that you see the swan, beautiful swan on top of the lake. You never see the legs kicking underneath, right? That's the, what we try to say, this is a smooth ship, right? We're, we're perfectly run and everyone knows it and we're great, right? Every company wants to portray that to their clients. Of course, that's not true, right? We're all struggling. We're all making things go and there's gears flying around and, and things are going and it's our job to make that as smooth as possible. So when you have a contract, you just know you are building something and you, you're learning that the client really likes to build it this way or design it that way. They now have that in their head and when they're gone, it's gone. The, all that knowledge is gone and you have to. So when you're a business owner, you need to keep in mind, how are you going to use them? Really, that comes down. Here's the hard part. That comes down to documentation. When you, what we do, just transparently, what we do is our clients never meet our devs or very rarely meet our devs. Mm -hmm. And that is so that we are always a big pixel person, project manager, me, whatever, is always in front of the client, not because we're hiding something, but because we want to capture what the client likes and don't like. We want to have that knowledge for us so that when we pass it to the dev and if the dev leaves for whatever reason, we haven't lost all of that. We're not starting from ground zero. If, if, in some places, I think they do it wrong in that I connect client to contractor and they have a relationship and that relationship goes really well. And what happens? The client hires that contractor. Yeah, you're setting up your replacement essentially. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a dangerous and I can see that, you know, that's a fantastic point from the the business point of view. From the development point of view, it's, I don't, I can't see myself working with four other uh, freelancers, which when you freelance and you do any type of uh, development work, it's it's a very different, uh, I want to say, feel than when you work for a company. When you work for a company, if I'm a Big Pixel employee, I have the Big Pixel way to do things uh, mm -hmm. with, a, you know, with a little Juan is sprinkled in there. But when I was that's a freelancer... Right. Everything was 100% my way of doing things. And when sure. a client hired me, I'm like, I told them, we're going to do it this way. We're going to use this tech stack. That's what you brought me in. I'm making decisions. I'm making this happen. And I I tried to do things as much as possible. So somebody else, which will inevitably come after me, was able to pick things up and, and keep on going on, on their end. But I was not working as a team player. Most of these guys come in not being necessarily team players. They're used to going in and out of the team. So imagine bringing four people with that mentality and trying to make them a team. Trying to make, yeah, know. that's well. And the other thing is, we get built bit on that in that same kind of concept. These guys, gals, are lone wolves by definition. Mm -hmm. They are lone yep. wolves. Their job is to figure things out. Now they're most of them are hourly, and they're expensive. In, in our case, they don't have. I mean, depend on your industry, right? But um, but they're being charged. They're paying. You're paying them hourly. And if they get stuck, it is their MO, as it were, to figure it out. And that might take them three days to figure X out if it's a hard problem. Yeah. Because they're by themselves, they're lone wolves. And what we have to break ours of, and this is anybody who's using contractors, I would recommend this. You've got to break them of that mentality because if you have internal people and external people, 
that means that three-day thing could have been an hour because someone get oh, another guy on your team, he's run into this. He already solved this. I can show you um, how to do this in an hour or two, right? But the contractor yeah. doesn't want to admit defeat. <laughs> and so it, we really have to train our guys. And if our uh, devs are working with us for a long time, like we have some contractors we've been working with for years, we start, dude, come on. You're part of the team as much as anything at this point. You need to come and do things our way. Otherwise, they're going to spin out of control and you're going to lose a lot of money. All right. So we, uh, we're we moving on to questions. We are getting some questions here. We're now using, or I shouldn't say we, I am using Reddit now to engage with the startup community. Um, you can find me there at BigPixelNC if you ever see uh, me trolling around the startup community there and the entrepreneurship community. Um, so I got a question from a guy. Some of these usernames are awesome. This guy's name is Wearing Pajamas. And he asked a really thought-provoking question. Um, Entrepreneurs in your 30s, 40s, and 50s that dream or used to dream big but have not achieved much, when is it time to become real with yourself and say, quote, my dreams, my big dreams won't come true? What are your thoughts on that? Before I give oh, wow. my answer, because I, I, yeah, this is a deep one, right? Yeah, because it goes into the whole age thing where it, in our industry and in development, uh, once you're t- at least in my experience has been if you're in your mid thirties and you're still a junior, you're still figuring things out. Uh, you're really too late to the game. Uh, you know, you had your time. It becomes tough. Yeah, yeah, you had your time. You had your prime, and that it is no longer it. But by now, you have to have things figured out. And I don't feel this way. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 30 right now. I just turned 30 a couple months ago. And but I, I also do feel that now would not be the time for me to just say, you know what, I'm going to do something else. I'm, I'm no longer doing development. I want to be, uh, I don't know, I want to be a streamer now. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think I'd, I would feel comfortable doing that right now. So I know, and I know that's psychological. I don't think I can't do it. I just feel too old to start doing it right now. So, and that's, that's you're, you're getting right in there with, it is in the mind. I think in most people, and I, I believe it was this guy's head, that startups and, and starting your own company and going out on your own is a young man's game. That is, culture seems to think that. And I will tell you in our experience, and I've said this before, uh, most of our clients are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And they're starting from scratch. Now, this guy's specifically asking, when am I successful and when do I give up? And that's where I was coming from. It's like, man, the idea that you're only successful when your company's worth billions is such a weird world that we we are living in you know it's it's not you can be very successful i use an example of of a hypothetical teacher who you know is making forty five thousand dollars a year and he says you know what i've got an idea that i can really improve the classroom and i go he goes and does that idea and three years later he's making four hundred thousand dollars in revenue which allows him to pay himself one hundred fifty thousand dollars salary which is great money that guy just gave himself a hundred thousand dollar raise in three years, right? Is his is his startup worth millions? Maybe, maybe, probably not. But did he completely change his life? Absolutely. Is he a success? Absolutely. I just I have a real problem with the idea that success has to have seven zeros after it. And I think it comes down to the, another aspect, which is how do you define success? And like you were saying, it's it's not necessarily about how much money am I making? If I'm making enough money, if I'm ex- making 
X amount of money. I am, I've made it. You know, I've made it. I'm successful. This was my goal. To me, and this was something that I read uh, not too long ago, completely changed how I view success. Because I used to see it the same way. Uh, my dream was to you know, make it big at a San Francisco Valley uh, startup. Mm-hmm. To me, now success is very aligned to what I read, which was if, if you can continue to do the thing you love as long as you can and enjoy yourself and have a comfortable life, you're successful. You made it. You, yeah. you have a happy life. You're, you're enjoying yourself. You're not miserable. You're not struggling uh, to make ends meet. You, you, you made it. You're successful. Most people don't get to do that. You hear the stories of our parents and grandparents and dad went to work and hated his job, but it paid the bills. And, you know, he's working 12 hour shifts at the mill or wherever. And he came home exhausted and took care of the family, but never felt any sort of enjoyment. I think in our current generation, we are able to, you can really find a job you love. I think that's totally on the table. And if you were able to do that and pay the bills, man, that's success. I think, I think that's, that's where that, where my, my thinking comes from. Okay, great. Any, any other thoughts on that? Just. No, I was going to say, and regardless of what your age is, if you're physically able, then it, it, it shouldn't matter how old you are. If you're in your 40s and you feel like you have the energy and the resources or the mental maturity, do it. No, yeah, absolutely. We, again, we have startup guys who come to us in their 60s. They finish their career. They want a new one and they go and they have this crazy idea. Let's go do it. It's awesome. I love those guys because they're usually super passionate. Um, okay, so here's the next question. This guy was by Friendly Mountain Man. <laughs> he asked, should I try to turn my side hustle into a full-time business or leave it as a side hustle? And long, term, long story short, he works at a, a factory of some sort, and he's got a side business of being a mechanic. So the reason I mention that is specifically, he's not competing with his main job. And he's asking, when do I make the switch or should he make the switch? So what would you, how would you answer that? I think it, 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 it comes down to why are you doing this side hustle? Is it for monetary reasons? Uh, does it help you make ends meet? If the idea is to grow this so you can make more money and you're enjoying it, uh, if you find yourself in the position uh, with you know, having the resources to do it, hell, go for it. But if your side hustle is something that you know gets your mind of your nine to five job, it, it, it's something you enjoy, in my personal experience, going full-time on something that you you thoroughly enjoy, that you've only done it as a hobby to distract yourself, you're probably not going to like it. Again, my personal experience. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same for you. Uh, But that's what happened to me. I I loved IT. I loved networking. And then I made it a career. And God, I hate it so much. And it stopped being (laughs) enjoyable until like seven months ago. So, I mean, I guess it depends on the circumstances why you're doing it. So, yeah, so I'm along the same lines is why did you, why do you want to switch it? If you want to switch it because it makes you more money, that's very valid. If you want to switch it because you enjoy it, great. If you're switching it because you hate your job, great. Um, the question is, is when, once you've decided that, how do you do it? And I think that's, that's a big, that was a big part of when I was answering the question is, when do you make that jump? How do, how do you make that jump? And I basically gave three points real quick. Make sure you have enough money to, to live for a few months. I'm guessing six uh, as you make that transition. That's step one. If you go, and I, I say this, and transparently, I did not do this. 
<laughs> I started Big Pixel on a hope and a dream and just jumped. We had no money saved. Don't do it. Don't be me. Don't be me. That added way more stress than it needed to. Um, and then step two is get your ducks in a row, get your legal stuff ready. You can do that while you're working your full-time job. Get your DBA set up or an LLC, however you're going to structure yourself. Get a bank bank account set up, get some insurance, get that all set up. That takes time, you know, several weeks sometimes. Um, do that, get it out of the way. It's not a big deal. It's just paperwork. Um, in my case, I mentioned a, a lot of prayer should go into that thought. Not everybody drinks that, but, uh, but and for my case, that was a big part of it. But once you're ready, then, the, then it becomes, how do you make that switch? I suggested, hey, go to your boss. Since you're not competing, this is why I was made, saying it's a big deal. Since you're not competing, go to him and say, hey, can I cut my hours back? I want to do this thing. Can I go to halftime? Because he's an hourly worker for this guy. So your halftime, you're making some money. You can spend the rest of the time working on anything. If the guy's like, no, absolutely, then turn in your two weeks, man. You've already done the legwork, right? It's time to, true, true. Time to take the plunge. I think it's important to keep in mind that you are you're doing this side hustle knowing that you have your, your full-time job as a backup. If, yeah. any, if all goes right over there, you can still come back to your day job and still make money to pay your bills and you know keep on living. That is no longer going to be the case. You're going full on in this committed relationship with your with your side hustle, and now it has to work. It has to work because you're going to invest money, resources, and time. And if it doesn't, you have to be ready to face that you know that reality and move on if you have to, or put more resources if you have to. That is not something that you've experienced so far. But on the same token, though. I believe if you don't commit and quit the job, it you will never have the fire lit underneath you to make it real, right? Oh, absolutely. You, yeah. You've got this soft, and I'm using this term loosely, but you have a soft landing because you have your, your job paying your bills. So a side hustle is just a side hustle. It's something that occupies some time, some, you know, some energy of yours. But once you've jumped off and you've, you've got no parachute, except the one you're building while you're in the air, man, that's going to a lot of fire into you. And, and that will change your trajectory as opposed to meandering with the full-time job. So uh, I would recommend do it, get it done. Once you've prepared, don't be an idiot. Don't be me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it, it, I know a lot of people say, it, you know, you have to do this. I didn't do it. It worked out fine, but you, you have to do it. It sounds great once things worked out, but if they don't, it's not that fun. So don't yeah. do it. Just... Yeah, I know. It worked out for me. We were very blessed and we were able to get clients, or at least a client, that's a longer story, relatively easily, quickly. Right, well, that's, again, longer story. But it worked out. Uh, that's not always the case. Again, I was very blessed and and we would have been in a real pickle had that not taken off the way that it did. Uh, but again, that doesn't even mean that we didn't have some really rough times there for a bit. But um, anyways, I think that answers that question. I think that's an important one. And I'll end with this. This is a quick one. When someone says to you, I, you are too expensive. Your price is too high. What is your response to that? This was, oh, let me, this, let me give credit. This was by a guy named Anthony M124. He asked the question, let's hear your best response for you're too expensive. Price is too high. What would you say to that? Now I know you're not a business owner, but well, I, I, I'm I'm thinking of it in in you know 
harking back to the freelancer point of view. Mm-hmm. As a contractor, if somebody tells you you're more expensive, sure, it's flattering. But I think it's it leads the way to a conversation of how much do you value the product that you want me to make? Uh, and you can have that money conversation. You can negotiate. And that is a good opportunity to, re- to try to you know gauge how what type of client it is that you're working with. If they are putting a $500 price tag on their billion you know, million dollar idea quote unquote then obviously they don't value it that much but if they they're still trying to figure out how much their stuff is is worth you can have that conversation and it will lead to a meaningful relationship with that client i've had that conversation with them before. sure uh, but this shouldn't be something that should necessarily you know put you off at least i think yeah no i, I totally agree so i was my thinking is the first thing you have to have is a conversation as to why you're more expensive. That's easy. I think if you're proud of what you do, hey, I've, you know, we offer this level of customer service. We offer this value, blah, 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 blah. If they're still not going, if they still think you're ridiculous, that's fine. My response to this was, I completely understand. And I've used this, by the way, many times. I completely understand. We aren't cheap, but we strive to be a good value. I have no problem at all. Best of luck to you in your search, right? It's just, it's time to leave. I'm going to, I'm not going to be a jerk about it. We're, we're going to part ways as friends. It's fine. Like we don't, it, it, this goes back to our transparency principle that leads our company. We don't come down on our prices because to me, if I say this is going to cost you $10,000 and you finagle, no, that's the wrong word, you convince me to lower my prices, what I basically said to you is, oh, my first thing, that $10,000, that was a lie. It really wasn't $10,000. I was just trying to see if you were going to to bite on that and make, I can make Mm -hmm. some more money. And I don't like that. What we, we do our pricing based on what we honestly believe the market can bear and what our, what it costs us. And we don't come down from that. We have one discount and that's if you guarantee at least a certain amount of work for at least six months to a year. And then we will come down. And that's simply because that allows us to forecast, which saves us money. Um, but we, when we quote a price, that's the price. The way you, if you want to make it cheaper, we can remove functionality, right? That's no problem. But we are what we cost. And we're not going to change on that because again, transparency, honesty. I was upfront with you. I gave you my best price to begin with. There's no need to haggle. I gave you what I could give you. Um, and if that's too much, that is 100% fine. Go take yeah, the cheaper route. A lot of times they'll come back. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, there always, is, there always is like a cheaper alternative. You can absolutely oh, outsource sure. development to somewhere else. Uh, yep. And they're going to charge you $3 an hour, which should be a crime. And sure, you can get it done for cheaper, but you will never have the level of dedication and quality that we can deliver. Yeah, I mean, that's generally what it comes. If you're trying to offshore, if I'm competing against offshore, I say, I'm going to lose every time. I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that. I know what I bring to the table. And then this is, and I say this not to talk about big pixels specifically. You as the owner of the company should understand what you bring to the table and be confident in that pricing. Make sure that you've thought through what it costs you to bring your, your product to market, what that truly costs you, a very reasonable amount of margin on top of that, and then charge your prices. Stand firm and go forth. Yeah, absolutely. Know your worth and make sure you can translate that to the client. Rock on. All right. We have gone long today, which is unusual and awesome. And uh, I feel sorry for our editors. And um, 
But I think this is a good one, man. Juan, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, this special day. It was kind of last minute. Gary uh, got sick and could not join us. Uh, he told me that last night. So uh, I put out the call, and Juan, step forward, man. Put on your cape and step forward. It's always forward. a pleasure. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much. If you have questions, um, you can find me on Reddit. Uh, Big Pixel NC is my name. Uh, but also, you can email us at hello at thebigpixel.net. Uh, feel free to... Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are very helpful. So please, if you are enjoying this, leave us a review. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>